happening again. Welcome, family. We're so glad that everyone's here to worship with us this morning as uh, we continue and actually are approaching the end of our trek through the book of Genesis. Uh, just to give you a preview, actually, all, this and then next week will be the last two sermons through our book, for our ser- uh, series through the book of Genesis. And so hopefully this has been beneficial. We've, we've traced it from the beginning of time itself as God has built uh, his family now and as we're seeing how he continues to do that in these last, uh, these last few chapters. Uh, before we dive into that, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time when we can gather as your body and we pray for it as we open up your word. We pray that your word can speak to us, the word can guide us, the word can show us who you are and what you've done for us and point us to how we can live for you. Lord, we pray for this time that you uh, speak clearly and boldly in our hearts as we read your word and reflect upon it and act upon it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So sometimes when you're reading Scripture, when you open up the Bible, it can be hard to understand. It can be hard to grasp. And sometimes when we're reading through the book of Genesis, we can ask ourselves, what does this really mean? And why is this important for me? And we can struggle with that. But there is a principle of interpreting Scripture that can help us. And that's the idea that Scripture interprets Scripture. Well, that it is... What that means is that there's some parts of Scripture that are less clear than other parts. But, then, but Scripture actually speaks into itself and lets you understand what Scripture is saying, what the Bible is saying. This is the belief that this book right here that is made up of actually 66 books that was written over uh, several centuries that included at least three languages probably had around 35 different human authors is all telling one story. It's all telling one grand narrative because there's ultimately one author to Scripture, and that is God, which means that the whole of Scripture helps interpret the parts of Scripture, and that the parts of Scripture help interpret the whole of Scripture. And so it helps us when we come to Genesis and we hit those bits and we're like, well, how does this relate to me, or how does this relate to the grand scheme of things? We can look around at other parts of Scripture, and they help interpret that and show us how it relates. And one of the great places to do that is in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, when it has this great catalog of the people of faith, and it talks about them, and it points us in the right direction. And so when we read chapters 48 particularly, but 48 and 47 of Genesis, and we ask, well, what does this mean? Well, when we look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, we see it talking about this story. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, it says, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing his head in worship over the head of his staff. And so it tells us right away that this story in Genesis 48 is about worship. It's about Jacob's faith. And I would say it's also about Joseph's faith as well. And so let's look at Genesis chapter 47 and 48 together and see how this plays out and what this means for us. 
Just to catch you guys up, if you guys have been following as we get going through Genesis, uh, Joseph has been in Egypt. He was raised to power. His brothers came because there's a famine, and he was able to provide them food. And so he was reconciled to his brothers, and he sent them back to bring Jacob, his dad, and the whole family back into Egypt. And they came, and they settled in the land of Gossen. And then uh, uh, he was kind of presented them in front of Pharaoh in Egypt, and they were given this land, and they were given... Um, the responsibility of taking care of the livestock. And so 47 continues that story about how the settling in the land it continues the story about how Joseph is basically um, serving Pharaoh and helping um, navigate this country and the people through this famine. And then it picks up, to, and we'll pick up the story at the end of chapter 47, at the end of Jacob's life. And so in verse 27, it says this, Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Gossen, and they gained possession in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the days of Jacob and the years of his life were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me, and he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and he was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I, have, I will make you faithful fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you of a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who you bore who were born to you in the land of Egypt before you came to you before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and the Manasseh shall be mine and as Rumid and Simeon are, and the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and in their in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padam, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, guys, let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them, from, removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand. And he brought the, them near him. And Israel stretched out his, hand, his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, whom was, his, was the younger, and he left his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand and moved it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. 
But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He shall also become a people and, he, and also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring, offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, we're, will pronounce blessings, saying, God, make you as Ephraim, as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you, will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I've given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain, mountain slope that I took from the hand of Amorites with my sword and with my bow. So we read this story, in Genesis 48 particularly, and we can ask, what is this about? What is the deal with this blessing? What is this deal with uh, Jacob blessing uh, Joseph's sons and claiming that they're his? And we really see, when we look back at Hebrews, as we read, that this is about faith. At the end of the life of Jacob, and it's close to the end of, of uh, Joseph's life as well, we see this is about a faith lived before God as they followed him. And so we see the main point that we can draw from this is that faith lived out is worship. This means that when we live out our faith, when we actually believe in God and then follow suit and put our life into action behind that, order our life behind this idea that we trust who God is, we are actually worshiping our God. This might strike us as a little funny because in our day and age, we use worship usually to denote singing or maybe prayer or the time we gather together as, as Christ's body here on a Sunday morning. And we can kind of limit what worship is to these times when really the Bible seeks to expand it again and again. Yes, there are those particular moments when we gather to worship as a body, and it includes singing and prayer and reading the Word, but the Bible tries to expand our knowledge and says all of our life is supposed to be worship to our Lord. Everything we do is supposed to be following God and trusting in God and his ways rather than our own ways. This is why Paul wrote in Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. He's trying to expand our minds. just like the rest of the Bible is saying, worship is our whole life. That when we trust in God, when we follow God, when we walk in His ways, that is worship. Yes, there'll be those, those more intense times of prayer and, and singing that help stir our minds and our hearts towards God and worship, but yet all of life is supposed to be worship. And it is when we live out what we believe. Faith lived out is worship. And so when we read this account in Genesis 48, we see two people in particular who are living out their faith. Let's first look at Joseph and his faith. Here is Joseph. The whole story of Joseph is one of faith. He has lived for God in a land that does not know God. He was sold into slavery. He was put into prison falsely. He has experienced hardship, but now he's been elevated to power. And so he has experienced goodness and, and, and good things and power. And yet through it all, through the good and the bad, he has stayed true to God. He followed him. He's lived out his faith. And now, towards the end of his father's life, he brings his two sons and willingly gives Ephraim and Manasseh to Jacob to be identified as part of Israel. This is an act of faith. Why? Think about where Joseph is. 
He's second in power only to Pharaoh. He was walking in the ways of, in power, at least, of the Egyptians, yet staying true to God, but yet he was identified by the Nile, by the whole Egyptians, as being part of the power structure. He probably had been in a position where he could elevate his sons to a place of prominence in Egypt. That Ephraim and Manasseh could have probably been a pretty big deal in Egypt, following in their dad's footsteps. And yet, by faith, trusting in God's promises, Joseph chose to have them identified with Jacob, Israel, instead. The shepherds, who has been made very clear again and again through Genesis that were abomination to the Egyptians. He willingly took his sons from a chance of power and placed them with people the Egyptians despised. Why? Because he trusted in God rather than the ways of power of the world. This was his faith, an act of faith that Joseph willingly chose to follow God and his promises rather than seeking advantage as the world sees it for his sons. And in that, Joseph gives us a principle of faith. That he willingly associates with, with uh, Israel. And so we ourselves, when we think about what faith might entail, it might entail us following God even when we lose something of this world. Faith might require us being bold to follow God even when we might have to give up prestige or position as the world sees it because we trust in God and his promises rather than what the world might offer us. Here in America, we've been very fortunate because that doesn't really happen that often. We can follow God most of the time and not worry about losing anything here. But times might change and times might be changing. People will say different things. But what, no matter what, when we evaluate our life, when we look forward how we follow God, we have to make a decision for ourselves. Are we going to follow that principle of faith that Joseph gives us here and, and live for God and identify and choose to identify our whole family with God? even when it might cost us something? Or are we going to follow the ways of the world? And so this principle of faith allows us and calls us to look forward to and say, who do we trust in? Do we trust in our own abilities? Or do we trust in God? Do we trust in his word and his promises? Or do we trust in the promises of that maybe position or power of this world gives us? Who do we trust in? And who are we following? This might look differently than everyone's life, and we have to examine and, and, and pray about these decisions on how to follow God over the ways of the world. But we're called to walk in faith and worship God through this. Because faith lived out is worship. Right, Titan? <laughs> but we also see not just Joseph's faith in offering his two sons. We see Jacob's faith. As Hebrews made it very clear, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, it was by faith that Jacob, when he was dying, blessed the two sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. That this blessing that Jacob gives is an act of faith and worship. That he trusts God, he's walking his ways, and he's worshiping God at the end of his life when he sees how God is working in his family and continuing it. Let's just look back at that blessing in chapter 48. When he blesses 
Joseph's sons, he says, the God, whom, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walk. That Jacob starts with remembering the God who he's worshiping. He's remembering the God who he's asking to bless these two boys. It's the God whom before Abraham and Isaac walked. He's speaking of the, his legacy of faith. He's looking back at his, his forefathers knew God and walked with God. And he's praying that this same God would be the God that his grandsons, now adopted into his family, would follow. A legacy of faith is a powerful thing when you look upon ancestors who might follow the same God that you follow and you can rejoice because they provide you this for, firm foundation. I love the fact that I, I, I come from a legacy of faith that I have the Bibles of some grandparents and even great-grandparents who, who worship God. And it can be encouraged me to look upon these and they knew the same God that I knew and followed him. A legacy of faith is so valuable. But maybe we're, we are the first Christians of our family or maybe we, we don't have that legacy, legacy of faith. But isn't this what we pray for our kids as well? Then when we look upon our kids, we say, I might not have that legacy of faith, but I pray that they can look back upon my life as I lived out my faith and that they can look at our family and can rejoice in the legacy of faith that they have. And so we pray for these, and, we, and this prayer for a legacy of faith is all based on faith. Faith in this God before whom Abraham and Isaac walked. Why? Because Jacob knew he had no power to guarantee his kids and his grandkids would follow in God's way. As we all have to admit, we have no power over our own kids that they would follow in God's way, but we have faith that God can move them and transform them to be part of God's family and follow him. So this blessing starts in this faith that they can be part of this legacy of faith. It goes on, he says, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. That Jacob remembers God and he thinks of him and refers to him as my shepherd. That points to that great Psalm, Psalm 23 where it talks about God being a shepherd who leads us by still waters into, into uh, green pastures. And that by faith, when we look upon who God is, and we see all the circumstances of our life and how he's moved in our life, we can see him as a shepherd. Someone who cares for us. Someone who guides us. From who, someone who loves for us. Someone who provides for us. And that by faith, we can, we can see God as who he truly is, a shepherd who loves us. And then Jacob says, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil that Jacob looks and knows that he's been visited by the angels of the Lord, and these angels have pulled him out of so much trouble and led him in God's ways. But this is really just a signpost of the ultimate one who comes to redeem us from all evil. And that when Jacob is blessing these boys and he's referring to how God has redeemed them, he's thinking of these physical things, how God's prolonging and extending his family and, and moving it. But we see it as we know the ultimate fulfillment of this is in Jesus Christ himself the one who comes to redeem us from our sin, from all evil. And so we have faith when we look at this and says, yes, God has redeemed us and we praise and worship his holy name because of it. And he ends it with bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth that out of faith Jacob looks upon them and says, bless them. 
God, what you have done with me, how you have led me and taught me your ways, let that be true for these boys as well. Let them be yours all of their days. He's praying for them to live out the same faith he lived out. Because faith lived out is worship. So we see in Joseph and we see in Jacob, faith lived out and how it's an act of worship as they they gave their whole life and trusted in God all of their days. We also see in this story how faith is about ending well. Here is Jacob. And if you remember through Genesis, Jacob is not the, the stellar example we want to follow all the time. He's really not that great of a guy. But yeah, he's been chosen by God and, they, and he's been led by God and he's followed. And here at the end of his life, he's in the act of worship and trust because that is what faith is, is ending well. So much of our lives is we can start on our own and we stumble and we fall and we mess up and we, just, we miss the boat so often. But the great thing about faith and the great thing about the gospel is not about what we have done, but it's about what Christ has done. And so that we have faith that he's going to grab us, transform us, and, and bring us to where he wants us to be. That faith is about ending well. That's why in 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That when he looks back in his life, he knows he did not start out well. But how he's ending, he says, I have been consistent and followed you, Lord. That faith is about ending well. But it's not about our own effort to end well. It's not about our own ability to end well. Because it's all based on grace. Philippians 1.6 reminds us that when Paul again says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. That Paul recognizes it's not about him ending well, doing enough to end well, but it's about Jesus, God, bringing him to completion. That he does it because of faith, trust, and grace. And we see this in this story. Another great example of how, how grace defies expectation, expectations. For when Jacob blesses these boys, for whatever reason, he crosses his hands and gives the bigger blessing to the younger child. It's, it's a kind of common theme throughout the whole book, but there's no reason for it. Why? Because grace, God's grace cannot be contained to our expectations. God's grace cannot be limited by what we, our position or our tradition or expectation or how we want it to go, but God's grace cannot be tamed at all, and so it happens and unfolds how he would have it unfold which points back to our faith and us living our faith and the truth that is that all of what we do, even our faith in Jesus Christ, is based on the grace of our Lord God. That he is the one who's given us this grace. And that means in our life that we live and follow this faith, as we live out that faith, is again from God. A blessing, an act of grace from it, that all of it is from God. An act of grace. Which all points us to the truth and the security of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not about what we have done, but it's about what Christ achieved for us through his life and through his death. That these Jacob and Joseph, as they had faith, they looked at God's promises and they saw how God's promises had been fulfilled again and again. But we, who stand on the other side of the cross, 
trust in the full promise of God, the ultimate promise of God, which is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's not about us and how well we can achieve. It's not even about us and how well we can believe. It's not about us and how well we can finish, but it's about Christ who did it all for us and brings us across the finish line, about Christ who saves us because of his grace and his mercy and his love for us. So when you read the scripture in these chapters and we see how we're called to live out our faith, how we're called to love God and worship God through our acts, actions and our, our thoughts and our, our words, and we're called to live all of our life out of faith, we must know it's all based on the grace of Christ, the grace of God, who will bring us to completion in the end. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word, that we can be encouraged by it, that we can be moved by it, that we can know you through it, that we can be encouraged to live out our faith every day, no matter what it costs us. That we can be encouraged to walk in your ways. That we can be encouraged to start a legacy of faith in our families. But Lord, most of all, let us rest assured it's not about us, but it's about you. It's about what you have done for us. And that we rest secure in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that gospel allows us to have faith in the first place? Is that gospel that allows us to be moved to walk in your ways? Is that gospel that we cling to when we don't have the energy 